Well, uh, last week we began a conversation called Life Inside the Margins or Living Inside the Margins. And like the space left around the edge of a page, we need space intentionally left around the uh, margins around our lives. And we also need space in each and every Sunday's worship service so that our students and children can head back to their children's classes. <laughs> what, you thought I forgot? <laughs> Kids, please head on back to your children's classes. Your teachers are waiting back there for you. It's not like it happens every week. Well, uh, after the service last week, I talked to a few people. So margins. We're going to talk about margins, both, both in terms of our time and in our finances. And, and uh, this goes back for me, like, well, probably 10 years before I kind of put this together myself. And then it's interesting to see how there's stages of life where you have to kind of relearn this stuff or, or things just change and you kind of have to recalibrate. Um, but I... I preached a message here seven years ago, shortly after I arrived, and um, there hasn't really been, <laughs> this, is should, this is kind of depressing, I guess, when you think about it. There's been no other message that people have uh, brought to my attention, like, over the years, like, hey, remember when you preached that message on, you know, and as pastors, we all want to be like, God's sovereignty, or, you know, uh, how much Jesus loves me, or what, no, for me, it's like, Hey, remember that message that you talked about time and margins? That was really significant. <laughs> and I don't know why, but I'm like, yeah, I know, it's important for me too. Um, it's been like seven years since I've like officially, and for me that didn't feel that long, but that's a long time. Um, but this is something that, uh, especially I think for, for folks who are in, it really doesn't matter which stage of life you're in. Like I said, you kind of have to recalibrate. And I used to think the best time to talk about this, uh, any, anything you know, with time and schedule or, or especially money and finances, that January was the time because it's New Year's resolution. You know, we're looking back on the last year. We're setting goals. And um, maybe as I've aged, I've, I, I don't know, maybe I've grown in wisdom. I guess you can't really say that about yourself, can you? Uh, but I've realized, like, man, now is the time where I need to hear this myself. Because uh, it's the time of year, so much of our society is tied to the school year and what happens between now and nine months from now. And there just happens to be a year that changes numbers in the middle. But you know, like a lot of our patterns and our vacations, and uh, I mean, you think about how much of, even if you don't have kids, you're still kind of living on that same track. And so now is really the functional start of the year where we've had this summer and it's kind of a hard reset and we start this new pattern, this new rhythm in the fall. And so now is the perfect time, I believe, to talk about things like how we manage our time and scarce resources like how we manage our finances. And so you know, overall, this is really, really important. It's, it's easy to think that, man, when you go to church, following Jesus, having a relationship with God. It's really, you know, this is about all of our moral choices that we make in life. And, um, you know, while that may be true, if your view of what it means to follow Jesus is all about the black and white, do this, don't that, um, you know, that's not much of a relationship. And, and it's really 
what, we, what I would say is it's really legalistic. You know, the Pharisees of Jesus' time, but we have modern-day Pharisees too. And uh, people love rules. Just tell me what to do, yes or no, check this or check that. There's just lots of competing systems of morality right now. But in the bigger picture, we as followers of Christ, we want to live in a way that really glorifies God. And in that light, the way in which we live, especially how we spend our time, how we spend our money, um, that has enormous importance. It touches everywhere in our life. And you think about the pressure that we get from the world around us, from just how our society is structured, our neighbors, our friends, our family, our people at work. Um, we're under constant pressure to ignore margins. For example, you spend more than you make. That leaves you no financial margin. You, you fill your schedule from morning till night or your month from you know, weekend to weekend. It's just full of stuff. That leaves you no margin of time. Being constantly accessible to others, you know, whether they're clients or coworkers, extended family, friends, I mean, that's going to leave you no emotional margin. I mean, you can apply this in, in lots of different areas of our lives. But the human cost here isn't just our bank accounts, our waistlines to, to exhaustion. There's other casualties, which I might say are actually as or more important, things like gratitude. Things like our, our sense or feeling of contentment in life. Uh, our joy, our level of joy. And after the last couple years, something that has never been on my radar before, it's like, how resilient are we as people? If you live with no margin, when the unthinkable comes, it just makes it that much more difficult. So in a world that encourages us to overspend, overcommit, overindulge, how do we start swimming against the current? Because God offers us good news. You know, Jesus isn't just a system of philosophy and moral choices that we make. You know, Jesus is, is more than just the truth and eternal life. There is a way of following Jesus that leads to grace and peace and freedom. And that's where we as people want to head. And so this is where that fits. What's a, what's a margin? We need margin in our schedule. We need margin in our finances. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I found a, a quote by Keating Thomas, not to be confused with Thomas Keating. Keating Thomas said this, a penny saved is a penny that will sit around in a jar for five years, right? And all of our financial planners said, amen. So what's a, what's a margin as it relates to our, our finances? Is it, is it like our savings, the amount of money that we save each month? Well, yes, technically that's correct. Margin is income. We intentionally decide not to spend. And for some of us, deciding not to spend is easy. And I know you're thinking, what do you mean it's easy? You have never met my wife, Corey. We've been married 19 years, and I always say that you can. I always say this. I'm, I say, go spend money, right? And I'm not joking because she never does it. 
until the spring when she bought a Jeep and a mountain bike. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm the one who's supposed to have the midlife crisis here with vehicles and new recreational sports. No, but for, there is a personality where this is not hard for you at all. You're, you're very structured, organized, you got goals, and, and you're just like, no, I'm good. You're, low, you're financially low maintenance. And I know that there are, most of us out there are like, what? That's not possible, that's not me. Um, you know, for some of you, this comes easy. For most of us, I would say, it's a foreign concept. I mean, why do we have money there in the first place? It's to spend. And all of us have financial means so what's our lifestyle look like in relation to our, our you know, to our means? Do we, do we live above our means? Do we live at our means? Or do we live under our means? It's not a trick question. You all know the answer to this. But, but yet it's so hard to do. The goal is to live under your means. Our society encourages us prolifically because it's to their advantage for you to live over your means. Just keep on spending. And uh, that leads to a lot of stress, a lot of debt, and a lot of train wrecks. We've all seen them or maybe experienced them ourselves. And so then we feel like we're doing really good if we just live at our means. And uh, left to my own means, my own self, I'd be like, oh yeah, I'm doing great. But the funny thing is that even when you're living at your means, there's a, there's a phrase, I don't know who coined this, but it's, it's payment poor. Oh, people are payment poor. Meaning they have all of these payments that they're making on everything. You know, from your house, which is good debt, I always smile when I say debt, good debt. Okay, yeah, good debt. You know, and then you've got consumer debt, bad debt. And there's everything in between, you know, where it's your cars and campers and uh, timeshares. I, I don't like, there's always another, there's always room for another payment. And when you, when you pay one off, it's like, oh, good job. Now you get to go start a new payment on something else. We want to change that mentality. The goal is to live under our means. That's both biblical and wise, I believe. But that's only part of the discussion. Once you build financial margin into your life, what do you do with it? We're going to talk first about why and what for. There's a couple of reasons why you need financial margin. It does not take a graduate degree to figure this out. When you're living above your means or even at your means, what happens if your car breaks down and it needs a major repair? Or what if a close friend or a family member falls on hard times? Uh, what if there's an unexpected expense or financial obligation? You need some kind of financial margin to pay for those things. And if you don't have it, then, um, then you get into trouble. You know, what happens if something big like goes down, like your spouse or you lose a job or there's a, you know, a disaster, you, your house catches on fire, there's a flood in our area, we worry about that stuff, or a health crisis. You know, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, you don't have many options. That's why you and I need a margin. It's pretty straightforward. 
But let me just say, before I get any further, just at being able to have this conversation with, as a group of people in the first place is a luxury, to use a financial term. Uh, we're, we're really fortunate to live in a, in a place and in a country um, that has a lot of economic opportunity. And I know that for us who are living in this, in the days and the age of you know, rapid inflation here, it doesn't feel like we've got a lot of excess, but we really do. And to put this in perspective, you know, several billion people in our world live on just a dollar or two a day. That's no margin. And, and these are hardworking people. On a dollar or two a day, they're people made in the image of God just like us, um, but through the accident of birth and other circumstances, uh, we are, live in a place that has lots of opportunity and others don't. But uh, this goes even farther, like, when I think about just my own experience, I grew up in rural Iowa during the 1980s, which was going through really like economic depression. Uh, but none of us knew any better because everyone was going through it. And so there's this like kind of blindness that we have to just, well, everybody, everybody here, you know, drives newer cars. Everybody here, you know, you just, if you don't venture outside of your kind of zone, maybe you don't see it. And so the poverty line in the United States, we've got a couple of screenshots for you that we'll put up on. The poverty level in the U.S. in 2022 is $13,000 uh, for one person and $26,500 for a family of four. And this data, uh, which comes from povertyusa.org, I believe, is based on 2019. So it's a couple years old. Uh, but that's the most recent accurate data they have. So as a country... You know, the poverty rate is 13.4%. The numbers are a little small over there. I apologize for that. But the map, that's a heat map. And so the darker the, um, the shade is the higher the rate of people in poverty. And I don't know, when I looked at that, I was kind of surprised, actually. Uh, you know, large portions of the Midwest actually look pretty good. The East Coast... I, I was kind of surprised by Washington. Like, go to the next slide there. You know, Washington State, we're better than the national average. 10.8 uh, is the whole states. So that's people living under $13,000 if they're one person or $27,000 for a family of four. Uh, but there's some areas of deep uh, poverty, you know, right in our own state. Uh, our county, King County, if you go to the next one, that little red thing. King County is 8.9%. That's actually pretty good. Like, I, when you click around on the counties in the United States, it's actually hard to find another county that has a lower percentage of people living in poverty. And it's still almost 10% of our county. So it just depends on where you live. You know, it might seem like everybody's doing great and everybody's doing the same as I am. I'm no different, but it's like, no. There, there's actually, like, when I pray for prayers, like, hey, God, open our eyes. That's what I'm praying for, is that, you know, we would, we would see the needs and the people in need and not just turn this, you know, hard heart towards them. Oh, well, they've enabled this or they didn't work hard enough or they should take more responsibility. I mean, we have all these things in our head that we kind of tell ourselves. 
And I don't know that Jesus would approve of that. Don't have a hard heart. So as it relates to most of us in this room, having financial margin isn't just a privilege, it's a responsibility for us, but also a huge opportunity. Because what do we do with our margin? What do we do with the excess money that we intentionally don't spend? You know, do we save it? Do we invest it? You know, either for retirement or some kind of business opportunity? Well, yes. And financial advisors can help us figure that out. However, having a margin is for more than just our personal security and well-being. It's also so that we can share and give. It's so that we can reflect the heart of our maker because God is a generous God. And we're actually made in his image, which means that's hardwired into us too. There's just stuff, maybe literally stuff, that's gotten in the way. So as a follower of Christ, margin means we can be generous. Do you ever think that God puts opportunities in your path so that you can give? Yeah, of course he does. He puts opportunities right in front of you, just like he would put opportunities for you to serve him with your time or to speak of him, you know, opening doors with others. He's also going to open doors for us to love people in need. Could be someone we know, could be someone we don't. Just have to pay attention. And so if we're living above our means, we got no margin. We, we can't seize those opportunities. And when we seize those opportunities, something good happens in our soul. Uh, you know, if we've diverted every spare dollar we have towards a retirement account, for example, oh, no, I can't, I can't help out that. I've got to max out my IRA for the year, whatever. Um, you're going to miss out on what God has called you to do. You're going to miss out on the joy of generosity. So if we want to create margins, if we want to live in this way, it starts first with developing a new perspective. Creating margins starts with a new perspective. And the Bible talks a lot about our finances, about our view towards our possessions. And it's really funny when I, when, when I, yes, the Bible talks a lot. Do churches talk a lot? Do Christians talk a lot about money? Do people talk a lot about money and possessions? No, it's kind of taboo. And I understand why, because people in my line of work don't have the most solid history of talking about money and why you should give it. But instead, we just don't talk about it at all which is dysfunctional. For Jesus, money was a common topic. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Going on in uh, Matthew 16, he said, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Another time Jesus was talking about money. He said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, which is interesting. There's more than one kind? Hmm. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possession. To give you an idea of how 
powerful the world is in which we live. Doesn't that sound strange to hear someone say that? Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Oh. You know, rather than devoting our lives to becoming rich, Jesus exhorts people like us to be rich towards God. Be rich towards God. Life isn't a game of whoever dying with the most toys, you know, the richest, the most wealth, you know, they win. Your soul is of an infinite value, and where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So as we develop a new perspective towards our finances, the first step is just kind of our, our goal. It's not being rich ourselves, it's being rich towards God. And another part of that perspective is acknowledging that everything belongs to God. You know, most of us were too young to remember our first word, but for those of us you know, who've been blessed with kids, you know, we know after learning mama and dada or the other way around, always a source of conflict in most families, he said, daddy first? What? And then the child says, mine. Oh, this is mine. Mine, 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 mine. Uh, what? Finding Nemo, which is really dated now, but still really great for kids. I love the seagulls in that movie. Mine, 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 mine. It's just exactly what they're saying. So scripture tells us that every good and gracious gift comes from God, our creator. And as our creator, everything belongs to him. It's not mine. Instead, God has placed us as stewards or trustees of the resources he's given. They've been given by God. You know, when a person dies and they have a will, I, I just got Tom Watson's attention because he's like, well, I do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher these terms too, so just bear with me. So when someone dies, they have a will. There's a person who's named as an executor of the state, of the estate. Of, 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 of getting rid of all of their stuff and passing it on as the person desires to whoever are the heirs, okay? That's their job. They are like a financial trustee that's been appointed by this person to take care of their stuff. And they don't get to make decisions. Their job is to take care of it in the way that the person desired. How did I do on that? It's pretty good. That is the same thing. That's, that's when I say, you know, everything belongs to God. He's just left us as trustees. That's what I mean. That, that's the mentality. It's like, this isn't my stuff. This belongs to someone else. I'm going to do with it as they say. That is a fundamental uh, perspective that we have to develop as followers of Jesus. And when we do that, it gets way easier. So when we say everything belongs to God, we're just trustees and stewards. That's the mindset. So how does God want us to take care of his stuff? You know, years ago, I was, I was talking to several friends of mine, and you know, our kids were very small. We were just starting a family. We were, 
we were trying to save up money for a down payment on a house and it was during one of those like runaway housing markets like we just had that seemed hopeless that we would never get there and uh you know you're usually at that point you're, you're kind of in a starter job so you, there's doesn't seem like there's that much there's more month left over at the end of the money it's that kind of thing you know and then people are telling well you gotta save for retirement you gotta save for college and um, oh man, it's depressing. You just like, how will I ever do any of this? And, and then, you know, you have that little voice, it's called the Holy Spirit, in the back of your head saying that you should support your church and, and ministries and the mission of God in, in tangible ways, not just serving, but with your finances too. So I was talking to three friends, uh, not all at the same time, but, but it was kind of this season. And uh, two of them were like, their kids were in college, they were empty nests, they were kind of looking back, and so I was like, man, give me some advice here. And another friend was my exact same age, and so we were kind of experiencing life at the same moment, the same pace. And I asked him, like, how do you do this? Like, what's the priority here? And all of their responses stuck with me. Uh, one told me, and, and, and he was a teacher, okay, so it's not like he was printing money in his line of work. Maybe he was in his basement, I don't know. But, but I mean, very, just a, he was a teacher. And he told, I'll never forget, he's like, well, you know, there's a growth curve that you have to learn with giving. And if you just decide, hey, I'm gonna wait until I feel like I have this cushion, he's like, it ain't never gonna happen. You have to make that a priority first. And he actually said, I look at it just like my mortgage payment. You know, we get out the, the first of the month, we get out the check, we write it to, because we're still using checks at that time, we write it to the church. And that's how he, he's like, and, and maybe if you're starting from zero, you're going to have to grow that intentionally. Like, you figure that, you got to make it a priority. I was like, okay. Uh, another said, and, and this was also the, uh, his kids were in college. He goes, you know, most people don't have the kind of job that allows them to start saving for everything all at once. So pick one or two of the most immediately important and go from there. You know, retirement's a long ways off. Oh, I know, it's the time value of money. You've got to put it away now. Yeah, but you, the whole down payment. I mean, there's all these things that come into play, right? So he's like, I don't know, let's pick one or two of the most important right now and go from there. And then my, my friend, who's the same age as me, he said the most disturbing thing. Which I'm like, maybe he just really didn't know what he was talking about. He kind of goes, yeah, you know, instead of wondering how much I should give, I've decided that uh, his wife, he named his wife, and I should start asking how much should we keep? Hey, how much should we keep this year? I hated that, okay? But it captured this like fundamental change in mentality of towards like, this isn't just my stuff. Instead of how much should I give, how much should I keep? It's turning our hearts and our mind towards everything belongs to God. I'm just a trustee, a steward of that. So developing a new perspective is the first step 
and creating financial margins. The second step is developing new priorities. It starts with a new priority. In other words, this isn't just all my stuff, so what do I want to do with it? And you know, you could spend a few my, uh, minutes online or you could sit down with a financial advisor. You could come up with a really great list of financial goals and priorities, much of which would be super wise and thoughtful. But I'm guessing the priority will almost always have something to do with increasing wealth so that you can, you know, provide for future things like college for your kids or, or maybe you're going to build assets, a.k.a. possessions. Uh, you know, maybe it's to improve your, your security so that you can be more comfortable. But there's an undervalued biblical priority related to wealth management that we so often forget. It's called contentment. Contentment. Developing contentment. You want to create margin the fastest, uh, the fastest way to create margin would be to learn to be content. That's how you answer that question, when is enough enough? So I can remember a story when I was in high school. There was a, uh, a gentleman who passed away. This is small town Iowa. In fact, I was even surprised when they said that he owned like the taxi cab business in town. I was like, we have taxis? Oh, okay. <clears throat> Usually just knock on your neighbor's door. Hey, can I have a ride? And uh, so was that a relevant, booming business? No. So this guy passes away, and, and I don't remember in the story if he even had, like, family heirs. But I do remember, and the reason it was a news story is because they started going through his house. And his house, let's just say it needed a lot of TLC. You, you wouldn't have guessed, oh, this is a very financially secure person by looking at his house. In fact, you would have probably said, this dude is desperate and needs our help. But inside his house, they found hundreds of thousands of dollars of cash, you know, stuffed in mattresses and in walls and floors. And I mean, he was a hoarder, a total hoarder. He'd grown up in the Great Depression. I mean, these stories used to be common. We'd hear about this all the time, not so much anymore. But answering the question, when is enough enough, um, it's... Creating margin is different than learning to be a hoarder, okay? That's what, not what we're talking about here. It's not about acquiring or upgrading possessions. It's also not about feeling secure. So feeling satisfied and feeling secure, as a follower of Jesus, that will always involve trust. When Jesus asks us to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross and follow him, the big gulp was the like, well, you know, I think I can follow you because that just involves one foot after the other. But denying myself, not 100% sure what that means. Part of what that means is, is this. It's learning like, oh, I'm not just going to be self-sufficient. I'm always living in a place of dependence, which we are always anyway, but we tell ourselves that we're not. It's, it's in this like, oh, I, I have to 
depend on God and, and to trust him in my life. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6, he said, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. So the, the word gain is actually profit. Which is like, nice touch, Paul. Godliness with contentment is great profit. And where Paul is coming from here is that the ancient world had uh, a very specific understanding of contentment. I mean, you've probably heard of Stoic philosophy. Um, there were cynics. That was a kind of philosophy. These were like, like traveling bands of people that would, philosophers, you know, that would travel around. Um, Epicurean was another kind of philosophy in the ancient world. And they would have understood contentment as a kind of self-sufficiency. It was like an ultimate independence. And so these philosophers would live an extremely ascetic lifestyle on purpose, almost as a way to prove, like, I don't need anyone but me. And so contentment in the ancient world was this like extreme sense of self-reliance, so much so I'm just going to leave all of my material possessions behind and walk through the world with nothing. Pretty extreme. So what Paul does here is significant. He's saying godliness plus contentment is great profit. And he did this because he wanted Christians to understand contentment in a different light. Rather than being completely independent and completely self-reliant, we're dependent on God. We're Christ-reliant. It's not just our self-determination or our financial security or our accident in life that gives us contentment. It's found in, it's founded upon our relationship with God. That's where it starts. Godliness plus contentment is great gain. And then he goes on to say in 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10, he says, those who want to get rich and fall into temptation and a trap, or those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And all of us go, yeah, we've seen that. Verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So here we are 2,000 years later reading this passage and very little needs explanation. We get it. Some of us have traveled that path ourselves where we've been very close to someone who's lived, who's, who's just gone all in. The love of money is a root all kinds of evil. People have wandered from the faith, have pierced themselves with many griefs, just trying to get it. The book of Ecclesiastes makes it even simpler. It said, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. So I would never want you to misunderstand. The Bible isn't against having wealth. 
it's warning us to be on guard, especially to our ambitions. It's um, telling us to be discerning of our desires um, because maybe we're not strong enough on our own. You know, the drive to possess more, the drive to feel secure, the drive to feel independent can become all-consuming passions. And it can drown out the voice of God. It can isolate us from people we love. So cultivating contentment means growing in our trust and our relationship with God. It means guarding our ambitions. It means being thankful and taking the time to notice how the Lord has provided. And in my own life, I've had many ups and downs in learning to be content. And um, lately, the thing that I believe the Holy Spirit has revealed to me or has like made me attentive of is a kind of narrative that I often tell myself. And so uh, right now my like growing edge in cultivating contentment in my life has to do with being a poor kid, a poor farm kid from Iowa. And when I grew up, I was a poor farm kid from Iowa. And everyone was a poor farm kid where I grew up. It's a part of my story. But at some point, I left Iowa, and I saw the world around me, I guess, and I met people from different parts of the world and different parts of the United States, and I realized, like, not everybody had the same experience I did growing up. And there's a little bit of jealousy there in me. Like, whoa, we, we genuinely kind of had it hard compared to everyone else. And so that whole thing morphed into something else that is not true and not of God. It's not that it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. It becomes this like thing that nips at my heels every time I start to get, or every time I start to feel that peace and contentment that only God can give me. It's like, well, you know, you're a poor farm kid from Iowa. You deserve more. You see what I mean? This is weird. And I know that maybe I'm the only one here who needs therapy and counseling. But what is it for you? Does it have to do with your status and keeping up with someone else? Maybe you're driven to be a success to try and prove someone in your life in the past wrong. I, I don't, for me, it's like this feeling, ah, oh, this is this poor farm kid from Iowa. I mean, these are all narratives that the evil one uses to mess with our head. It's not true. And maybe the place where you are in learning to build margin has to do with first being aware of that thing that's driving you or kicking in or, or, or stealing your contentment and just telling a different story. No, that's not true. God has blessed me so much. God has been so generous to me. My friends have been so generous to me. I notice all of these things, all these good gifts that come to me in my life. And you start combating those things that we tell ourselves as it relates to our, oh, I don't have enough. Oh, I'll start giving when. I mean, I don't know what it is. We all have these narratives. Most of us have these narratives. So instead of getting in our own way, 
Jesus wants to give us a different path. I mean, sure, there's some nuts and bolts of creating financial margins. It's, it's called a budget. No one likes budgets. They're just a spending plan. And you can find help in building a budget in any number of online places. But the motivation to actually develop one and then follow through with it, that's what I struggle with. But God wants to free us from being chained. And the things that chain us are things like the time, uh, you know, our schedule, the amount of stuff that we want to do and accomplish, these expectations that we have in our life. Well, whose expectations are there? My expectations. We could change, God can transform us into being people who um, into being people who he's originally created us to be, which isn't a kind of straitjacket. It's a kind of freedom and good news to, to live our lives. We, we have enough time. We feel rested. We've made room for people. We're able to, even though we're busy, we're not hurried. We can take these commas in our day and make space and room to listen to people and our relationships we can have financial margin where we're not always feeling stressed about making the next payment, where when opportunities come in front of us where we can be generous, we can step up and say yes, and we can experience this joy and this goodness that God has created for us as human beings because he, we are created in his image. We're like him, and this is how he is. He's a generous God. And so instead of, I, I don't know how this comes across you this morning, wherever you're sitting, you're like, oh man, I'm going to go home and tell people the pastor, you know, spoke about money. Sure. I'd rather you think that the pastor spoke about freedom and the freedom God wants for us in our daily life. It will help us follow him. It will help us be content. It will help us be thankful and gracious and patient and uh, resilient and joyful. And that's what I want. That's what God wants. So let's try this together, amen? Please join me in prayer. Lord, we know we serve you, a generous God. And you sacrificially gave to us. So help us. Help us in our, our fallen, broken selves. Redeem this part of us, Lord, that always feels like we don't have enough or that we're not able to give. Help us with these narratives to see, Lord, that they're just lies coming straight from the pit of hell. They're not true. Help us to notice the good gifts that you've given us. Help us to see the opportunities, Lord, to step up and be generous, both with our time and our finances, Lord. Help us to create margin uh, so that we have room in our life, Lord, to breathe and give and grow. We know this is what you want from us, Lord. We're so grateful for it. In your name we pray.